Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today to worship in friends and family in this, our church. Help us to learn from the words today and to follow you as you guide us through our daily lives. May our hearts and minds be open to your scriptures this morning and to your love. Amen. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent made me deceive me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. This is God's word. Uh, in full transparency with all the Halloween candy in there, um, I have only opened one bag so far. <laughs> uh, have you ever been asked before? Have you ever had somebody ask you, or maybe you've asked this question yourself, um, why are some, why, why is it that, there, that some non-Christians are way nicer than some Christians? Anybody? Yeah, I see some heads nodding back there. Um, This is a question that, that, you know, I've been asked. uh, uh, Other people, you know, you guys have been asked this question. You've thought about this question before. And the thing is, as with most questions like this, one of the things that you have to do is you have to stop and you have to say, okay, I hear the question, what do you mean? Or what do I mean when I'm asking this question? If you mean... Isn't it true that Christians are hypocrites? The answer is sometimes yes. The reality is there is no other kind of person. There is no one who is fully consistent with their beliefs. Everyone on some level is a hypocrite. In fact, the other day I was driving and I was behind this car at a stoplight and they had peace signs on it. And then they had a real big sticker and it said... If you hurt animals, I'll kill you. (laughs) If by this question you mean, well, shouldn't Christians be nicer? The answer is probably, depending on what you mean by nice. We can think about that great uh, love passage in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. So probably there are times, depending on what you mean by being nice, 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's probably true. But if by this question you mean, doesn't this prove that Christianity doesn't work? The answer is, oh. <laughs> what's, what's the opposite of eureka? Um, the, if you mean by that question, doesn't this prove that Christianity doesn't work? The answer to that is, I think you've misunderstood the point of Christianity and what the human condition actually is. We are going to look at that human condition in our text today, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. And Paul writes this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what is the human condition? What is the human condition? And we need to talk about this a little bit before we get back to where we were. John Stott points out three things about the human condition in this. And the first one is this in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, this is a figure of speech. Of course, we're used to seeing these in Scripture. It doesn't mean that all of us walking around have no physical life. We're not breathing, any of that kind of thing. What it means is that there is no spiritual life. The human condition is that that you, you are born and you are raised without spiritual life. There is something inside of you that, that, that the Scripture would consider is, is dead. And this is something, a condition that follows us since Genesis 3, since that passage that Janice read, because we, we know in Genesis 2, God tells Adam, don't eat from this tree. In the day that you do, you shall surely die. And something, in fact, did die. And now sin and its effects became an inherited trait passed down from generation to generation, leaving people in their their natural human condition now spiritually dead. That means we don't need help to do what's wrong. We don't need help to neglect what's right. And if you ever want to test this theory, just begin to ask yourself, ask people around you, Hey, what would you do if you knew you couldn't get in trouble? What would you do if you knew that you could absolutely 100% get away with it, even from God? What would you do? And you can begin to identify that that condition. That's why I love post-apocalyptic movies, by the way. 
is because it's the world is ended, society has crumbled, all of these things that restrain people are gone, and now who are you going to be? It's asking that same question. Now, we tend to think the opposite, or at least I do. We, we tend to think, you know, if people are nice, if they're, you know, they're religious, they're successful, um, you know, maybe if they're really good looking, everything's fine. Everything's fine. No big deal. It's all okay. You're, you're exaggerating this with all this, this dead inside stuff. But what is on the outside is not always what's on the inside. And if you've lived on this earth very long, you know that truth. Jesus identifies the same problem in Matthew 23. Matthew 23. He says, Pharisees, hypocrites, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought ought to have done without neglecting the other. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And then he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is identifying this same problem. Jesus is identifying that even these, this particular group of people have neglected something about themselves. They have neglected this truth that inside there were just bones They dressed themselves up with religious observance, but they never did anything about the heart. They didn't care about justice, about mercy, about faithfulness. They were full of greed and self-indulgence. They were dead inside. They've changed the outside, but they didn't address the inside. That is the natural human condition. According to Jesus, according to Genesis, according to Paul, You can make the tomb as nice as you want, but it doesn't matter if it's still just bones inside. Something on the inside has to change. Well, Paul's, uh, um, his uh, addressing here, it, it actually gets a little bit worse because it says you're not just dead, you're also enslaved. Because he goes on to say you're dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, so here, by the way, that prince of the power of the air, that's just a way of referring to the devil. And he's saying, you, you guys, you actually walked in your sin. You are dead and you are enslaved to this. You were following the course of the world, of the devil, of the flesh. You were enslaved to all three. This means that the default, the default for humanity is to to look at what's going on and say, well, what does the world say is right? Do it. Well, what do I feel is right? Do it. And the devil's agenda is to sway people towards these things and push people towards these things. He, He doesn't necessarily have to give anyone new desires, 
because you've already got plenty of that in you. Uh, Oftentimes what he does is he just comes along and questions what God has said using that same old question from the garden. Has God surely said? And that walk, that walk, the human condition is to carry it with us wherever we go. It is inescapable. How many of y'all remember um, Pepe Le Pew? Pepe Le Pew, the skunk, right? Going around and, and he'll, he'll see someone and he falls in love and he, he gets, you know, all of his charm together and, and sometimes he combs his hair and he gets ready and he goes to, to, to uh, get this cat to fall in love with him. And what always happens wherever he goes? Oh my goodness, it's a skunk! The smell! What in the world? Listen, what Paul is saying is we are enslaved to this condition, just like Pepe Le Pew is enslaved to his nature. You can bathe him. You can can have him say all kinds of nice things. You can dress him up in a tuxedo, but he always carries that smell and that stigma with him wherever he goes. He's still a skunk. That is part of the human condition post-Genesis 3 and the course of someone's life on the whole that is trapped in this condition, it begins to show that they care more about what the world says is right, more what they want for themselves than about what God says is right and what He wants. And it gets a little bit worse. This actually fits with the lighting, right? Spooky Halloween, it just keeps getting worse. You are not just dead. The natural human condition is not just being dead, not just being enslaved, but actually being guilty. Did you see that in verse 3? It's among whom we all live, these sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We, We don't really like this word wrath. We, we don't really like this idea that someone might be liable to judgment, that I might be liable to judgment, that I might actually be guilty. And so we push that idea off and we have different ways of doing it. Um, I'm the youngest child in my family. I'm very familiar with these ways. Things like, well, I had a really good reason for it. Or uh, maybe it's this one. Well, I know I I did that, but did you see what they did? I'm not as bad as them. Here's the problem. Um, If you're out on the interstate and you're speeding and someone goes blazing past you and you get pulled over and and the, the cop comes up and you say, well, I had a good reason for it. Well, I wasn't going fast as that guy. Why didn't you pull him over? Does the cop really care? Even if the cop cares, does it change the fact that you were speeding? No. Guilty. God is not judging us by comparison to another, and he won't be tricked by our our clever games of trying to push blame and justify ourselves. And that is why that natural condition of humanity is dead in sin enslaved to the desires of the world and flesh and the influence of the devil and guilty. Okay, we've been through all of this to get to this. What does this have to do with this question about being nice and does Christianity work? 
When you ask that question and you say, I've seen some Christians who are not as nice as some people who are not Christians, so Christianity must not work. That is missing the whole point of what Jesus came to do. Christianity is not teaching, and Jesus did not teach that that he came to uh, institute some sort of a behavior modification system. Did you hear that? He didn't come to, to set into place a behavior modification system. So that X, Y, Z, and now you're nicer. Jesus didn't come to do that. Behavior will change for a believer, but that is not the point. And let me me explain to you why I say that. Because good behavior cannot bring a dead person back to life. Good behavior cannot bring a dead man back to life. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's impossible it cannot free them from slavery. It cannot, it cannot overcome the guilt. Good behavior cannot bring a dead man to life. Only one thing and one thing alone can do that. And that's what Paul talks about here with those amazing words. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, by grace, it is only the grace of God that can save us. It is not our works. It is not being nicer than you used to be or being nicer than the person over here. It's not by by giving everything that you have. There There is nothing that we can do. There is no earning There is no earning God's grace. Nothing we do can bring a dead man back to life, but by God's grace, he can. By God's grace, he changes that spiritual condition. And he moves us from death to life. I love the way R.C. Sproul says this because I really think he gets at the core of this. He said, God doesn't just throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea and pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him up on the bank, breathes into him the breath of life, and makes him alive. Nothing you or I do can do that It is by grace we have been saved and grace alone. And why did God do it? Why did God do it? Look again at verse 4. It says, but God, because he was really frustrated? No. God, because he, fill in the blank? No. But God being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. It's who he is. It is the very nature and character of God to be rich in mercy. And because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Now, when you begin to understand that, when you begin to understand what what the natural human condition is without God, and then you begin to understand what God has actually done pulling me up from the bottom of the ocean and breathing life into my corpse, and then you begin to understand that God didn't do it so that he could obligate me. 
He did it out of his mercy and because of his great love. When you begin to understand that, that's when your heart begins to change. That's when, that's when, when your behavior begins to change. That's when, when you begin to soften, your heart begins to soften because you realize, just like the words of that beautiful song, I once was lost, but now I'm found. You could even say, was dead, but now I'm alive. And when you, when you realize that, and when we think on that, and when we meditate on that, which is what we come here to do, that's what, what we do in our homes, when that begins to happen, you begin to change. You begin to cherish grace, and you give grace because you have experienced grace. You begin to cherish forgiveness and give forgiveness because you have experienced forgiveness. You begin to love sacrificially because you have experienced that sacrificial love. You, you begin You begin to be kind and cherish kindness because you have experienced the kindness of God. And in this gathering that we call the church, we learn how to act like living people, like free people, like innocent people. We learn how to live like sons and daughters of the King. And now here's the the caveat to this because people will still come back to that question. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it happens over time. Some things will change quickly. Many things will change over time. And that change that God is working out, it it goes deeper and deeper. Every time he cycles back to it, every time he addresses it, he is digging down deeper and he is working his grace deeper and deeper into the soil of our hearts. And so you really can't know the answer to, well, why, why is this person not as nice as this person? You don't know where they've been. You don't know where they've come from. You don't know the work that the Lord has been doing in them, but he does, and he is at work. And when we experience that grace and that truth over time, that is when we begin to change. But if you get asked that question, I want you to keep this in mind. The point of what Jesus did is not to make a coffin look better. Just think about that. The point of what Jesus did is not to make a coffin look better. It is to resurrect the dead man inside. I think C.S. Lewis put it very well. He said this. He said, if conversion to Christianity makes no improvement in a man's outward actions... If he continues to be just as snobbish or spiteful or envious or ambitious as he was before, then I think we must suspect that his conversion was largely imaginary. And after one's original conversion, every time one thinks one has made an advance, that is the test to apply. Fine feelings, uh, uh, yeah, fine feelings, new insights, greater interest in religion mean nothing unless they make our actual behavior better. So he's looking at that long-term effect just as an illness. Feeling better is not much good if the thermometer shows that your temperature is still going up. But mere improvement is not redemption. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Though redemption always improves people even here and now and will as we experience those immeasurable riches of God. In the end, improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became man to turn creatures into sons. 
Do you hear that? Not simply to produce better men of the old kind. He's not trying to clean the coffin. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Jesus did not come to clean the tomb. He came to resurrect the dead man inside. And after doing that, he saw it fit to never stop showing us in the coming ages the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.